Psalm 148, starting at verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths. Fire and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven, and He has exalted the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, of the children of Israel a people near to him. We thank you, Lord, for uh, for your good word, Lord, calling us to praise you and worship you. And may our worship, Lord, be a, a pleasant and wonderful aroma lifting up to you, Lord, that it be the sacrifice of our hearts and, and minds and souls rising up to you. Please be with all of us. Bless us, help us, guide us, and be with us. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Our first scripture reading is Malachi 3, 1 through 7. <clears throat> so, uh, this is the last of the Old Testament books, the last of the Old Testament prophets before we come on to uh, the New Testament uh, and the book of Matthew. And this is the prophet Malachi uh, speaking of the one that was going to be sent before Jesus. Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and, and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed from the days of your fathers. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark was uh, largely thought by the confession of the early church to be uh, Peter's gospel that he passed on to Mark when they were ministering together. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's the second second book of the New Testament. And it's the second gospel written. And it's uh, got a distinctive style. It's action-packed. It's short. And uh, gets right to the point. Um, you know, the word Im immediately appears all the time. There's always words of action. Um, so, uh, now that we've got a little background into the Gospel of Mark, let us read chapter 1, verses 1 through 15 in the Gospel of Mark. 
The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after Jesus, or I'm sorry, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Thank you, Lord, for your word. Press it into our hearts and help us to be a blessing with your word and to glorify you in your Son's name. Amen. So. Uh, Starting out in the Gospel of Mark here, and if I get opportunity to to preach again, I'll just continue on going through uh, this Gospel uh, one section at a time. It's my favorite Gospel, if you're allowed to have such a thing or say such a thing. I just love the Gospel of Mark, kind of because of what I said about it earlier, being nice and short, action-packed, to the point. And this is uh, uh, gets and it. It starts and just gets right into basically the ministry of Jesus. We don't have the uh, the context given to it like Matthew and Luke do. It just goes right straight to the point. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, this is the story of, of Jesus. He is the Son of God, meaning he is God himself. He is the bearer of good news. This is the only gospel that uses the term uh gospel and it goes right into the ministry of John the Baptist we, we learn that Jesus is the son of God uh, and he is bringing forth his gospel and then we get right into some Old Testament quotes these are the only Old Testament quotes that Mark himself uses any other Old Testament quotes um, are, are through Jesus and he quotes uh, uh the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was here to prepare the road for Jesus. And back 2,000 years ago, and, and even today, uh, when a dignitary comes to town, what do they do? They clear a path for him. They make sure the highways are, are secure, in good shape, in good shape, in good order, that there's no marauders around that can come and, and, and disrupt things. They prepare a way for the king, for the president, uh, you know, for whatever rock star or whatever. I mean, all these all these dignitaries get uh, get this treatment uh, so that they're not not accosted. 
that's in a sense what John the Baptist was doing but the road he is preparing is the road of people's hearts he's preparing for Jesus to come through preaching this message of baptism for the repentance for the remission of sins he's trying to turn the the, the hearts of the children back to their fathers as the Old Testament tells us this is a, a road preparation that taking place in, in, in the souls of the people of God the covenant people of God that have gone astray and John is calling them to confession and contrition this is a highway of contrition and confession and repentance repentance being not just turning away from something but turning to something and in this case that something is Jesus Christ the Son of God and so he is preaching uh, repentance and he's also preaching baptism which really would have upset a lot of the of the Jewish folks um, he's in effect saying you guys are like Gentiles baptism was a, a right for the Gentiles who were seeking to become Jews the proselyte, proselyte uh, Gentiles would uh, would get baptized as, as a symbol of their, their cleansing from their old ways and, and turning to, uh, to the rightful true God. And so uh, the Jews, especially many in the leadership, saw this as, as, a, as a great affront. They were very offended. What do you mean we need to go out there and be washed like Gentiles. We are the sons of Abraham. We don't need this. This is this baptism is for those who are born outside of the family of Abraham. All the other people. We do not need this. And and in fact when you think about it, when they approach John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what does he say to them? Comforting words. I mean, I guess if you're a viper. He calls them broods of vipers. In fact, uh, lest we think that was just for, for, for the pretentious uh, people, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, he called everybody a brood of vipers. That was just kind of the way John was. He called everybody a brood of vipers. Uh, Luke tells us he called the people coming to him a brood of vipers. That's just kind of the way he was. But it really hit the Sadducees and the Pharisees hard. And, and John tells, tells them that you think because you're a son of Abraham that you're fine. I'll tell you something. God can take this rock or a rock or whatever, and turn it into a son of Abraham. And in fact, that's this was what is happening. This message, message that John is preaching, this message of repentance, a turning from sin, is the turning the soil in the hearts of the people, the stony, rocky soil in their hearts, so that they can truly become sons of Abraham when Christ comes with His message of repentance and his baptism not just of water but of the Holy Spirit which is what we need to turn 
our stony hearts to flesh to make us sons of Abraham. So this this was a great offense to many of the Jews, but they still streamed him out in the desert. Uh, you know, how many? We, we don't know, but the, it was big crowds of people going out into the wilderness, out by the Jordan to, to see John, and, and he would give them this message, and then their baptism was dependent upon their confession, uh, their contrition, their repentance from sin and to the Lord. Um, and it's, it's interesting... Uh, see how he is described with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey so he was not dressing to impress he didn't have a suit on thankfully this passage is descriptive of a <laughs> of a, a particular event uh, the Lord had in mind and not prescriptive uh, you know, meaning that this is the way we have to be. I mean, I don't think we're going to ever have a, a camel's hair Sunday service. Hopefully not. Uh, this is a description of something that uh, the Lord made for someone to do, for John the Baptist to walk in. And he dresses like this. And in fact, sometimes this is the way prophets dressed, and even sometimes false prophets uh, would dress. Uh, and this is reminiscent of, of how Elijah the prophet would dress. And, and then he was eating bugs and uh, and locusts, basically living off the land. Honey was pretty prevalent in the deserts of, of Judea. And I guess so were locusts. And uh, once again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't bring locusts and honey to the potluck today. All right. Uh, this is something that... Uh, uh, seemed to be, he, he very well, it seems that he had a, taken a Nazarite vow, kind of like Samson, what we were reading about in, in Sunday school this morning. Um, so John the Baptist uh, uh, was unique. And and his, his style of ministry was also something that uh, is interesting. You know, when we're looking to start a church, you know, we want to go where the people are, maybe by a zoo or a garden, you know, where people flock to in the neighborhoods. Uh, and and that is good. Nothing wrong with that. Is that what John the Baptist did? No. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He went out in the middle of nowhere in the desert feasting on bugs and, and honey. And that is where he did his ministry. This is, uh, I don't even think Heidelberg tells us that this is how we're supposed to do our, our ministries, by going into the desert. But this was because God called him out there. And he went obediently preaching the necessity of us turning from our sin and turning to the Lord. And people flocked to him. This proved that this was a work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Lord. This wasn't because John was a, a charismatic, fluffy leader. How we know he's not. He called everybody a brood of vipers. Who wants to hang out with a guy like that? But the Holy Spirit was working in John, calling people out to hear the message, to clear the path for Jesus. 
And we know that uh, that John had a had a very true and high opinion of Christ. He spoke of Christ saying that uh, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. You know, that was a job for the lowest of the servants. And, and John didn't even see that he was someone capable or you know, that should be able to, to do that because he was so low compared to Christ. Christ is, is the one. And John is not. You know, in fact, uh, in, in the, I believe it was in the Gospel of John when, when they start ministering side by side and Jesus is drawing away some of John's disciples, what does John say? Oh, man. What's he doing that I need to do to keep my disciples and to grow more? No, he says, Jesus must, must grow more. I'm paraphrasing it. And I must be lesser. He understood his place. He was the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the path. He was not the one that was called to be the Son of God. That was Jesus Christ. He knew his place. And, and he even knew that, hey, I baptized with water. But Jesus is coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Salvation itself is attached to Jesus Christ. We have salvation in Him. It is Him that we look to, we trust in, and believe in. It is Him that we, when we repent from our sin, that we turn to. And John very well knew this. And, and it's interesting that, uh, that John even knew that that Jesus was the Son of God and he says that in the Gospel of John corroborating agreeing with Mark the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God many people say there's not much theology in the Gospel of Mark I don't know it sure started out that way the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God that's pretty theological that's pretty deep that's pretty awesome that's how he begins his gospel. So, John is speaking about Jesus, and all of a sudden, there he is. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the question might arise. You know, we know people were going to get baptized from John to signify their their change from being under sin to being under the Lord to trusting in, in, in the Lord and turning from their wicked ways. Well, Jesus is perfect. What, what's this all about? Why is He going to be baptized by, by John? What's this about? And and in Matthew, we're told that it is to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was, in effect, identifying with us by being baptized. John knew that Jesus 
didn't need to be baptized. In fact, he said, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus told him, this is to fulfill all righteousness. I am identifying with the people that I will eventually die for. And in effect, as Calvin said, Jesus undergoing the baptistic sacrament ritual is consecrating that sacrament of baptism in a way that if he didn't do it, it wouldn't be consecrated. Just as his real blood and death on the cross consecrate the body and blood in the Holy Supper. So, but it's, it's, it's interesting that we see this in, in the Old Testament uh, Isaiah 6 when, when Isaiah goes to be before the Lord what does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips and he has to have his his, his mouth touched with the coal to cleanse him you know the, the Levites had to undergo uh, incredible ceremonies and rituals in order to be considered ready to be clean enough to, to minister before God in the temple. And, and, and Jesus did not need these elaborate ceremonies. He didn't need cleansing through the fire of coal. No. We see uh, at, at His baptism the, the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus and in the form of a dove, and we don't know if this was actually a dove, it, it seems to indicate more likely it was just in the appearance of a, a dove-type uh, uh, appearance. And, and he comes down on Jesus. And this is the Holy Spirit coming to empower Christ for the works He must do for His ministry. And we see Jesus doing so many uh, uh, of the things He does. It says that he, you know, the Holy Spirit worked in Him and and we see this throughout his ministry. And we see the God the Father speaking from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. E echoing Psalm 2, verse 7, where God calls His Son, His only begotten Son, or His begotten Son there. God the Father is blessing Jesus and we see this, this Trinitarian meeting. And it's interesting. We see that here in the Gospel of Mark at the baptism and then uh, at the end of, uh, of Matthew. What does it tell us? Go ye therefore and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. This is a a blessed meeting of the Trinity. And oh, how we need to dwell upon that and understand that, that this, is, this, is what, this is what we need. We, need. we need Christ. His death on the cross for our sins. We need the, the cleansing, the fire of the Holy Spirit to, to come in us and, and, and turn us into... Uh, sons of Abraham and we need the word of the Father to guide us every day in our life it is truly a, a Trinitarian effort 
to keep us in the faith. I know it is a Trinitarian effort to keep me in the faith. Um, and so we have this holy meeting of the Trinity right there. And in, in fact, uh, uh, it sounds like a pretty amazing scene, obviously, when the Father speaks to the Son. It's the same language uh, used here in Mark as is used about the tearing of the temple. The, the, the skies were rent, uh, you know, as he was coming up out of the water. Very strong and almost violent imagery Mark uses about uh, the power of God. <clears throat> and so uh, we see now that, that Christ is is been approved by the Father. He's empowered uh, by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Not against Jesus' will, of course, but this was uh, once again a part of Mark. is said, hey, we got work to do. Let's go. So they go into the wilderness, and this is just a very short, brief account. Mark doesn't spend a lot of time speaking about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Um, you know, Matthew and Luke spend about 10 or 12 verses or more speaking of this temptation in the wilderness here. Uh, Mark just matter-of-factly presents it. I love the way how he deals with Satan. I'm going to deal with him the same way. Just kind of ignore him. Um, Mark doesn't go into detail about what Satan did, just that he tempted him. This temptation probably began the first day all the way through the 40th. We're not sure, but that seems to be kind of what the text is talking about. So the, the, the three temptations that we get in, in Matthew and Luke uh, are... Basically, probably the, the, the final thing Satan tempts him with. Um, and that's really, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say much about Satan at all. And in fact, uh, when you read further in the chapter 1 here, every, you know, when, when Jesus comes face to face with the demon, what's he say? Hey, shut up. You know, I don't want to hear it. Shut up and go away. He is very uh, <laughs> sharp. And, and dismissive of Satan and his and his buddies. Um, so that's the way I'll approach this right here. I'm not going to go into a, a bunch of stuff about Satan here. Mark doesn't, so we'll just leave it there. But uh, um, this is reminiscent, of course, um, this temptation in the wilderness of uh, of the first Adam. You know, it's you can kind of look at these one next to the other and, and in the garden we see Adam in all the beauty and perfections of the garden without sin the constant almost constant fellowship of God walking with him and talking with him and no cares in the world um, and then this snake comes and starts talking to him and you know, you kind of would have thought he'd say, hey, Eve, snakes don't talk. Let's, let, let's go away. But like 
most of us or all of us know, like Samson we read about in Sunday school, he stayed there and 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 that's how how we fell. Satan tempted uh, tempted Adam and Eve through the snake and and here we are, six thousand years later, dealing with uh, Adam's sin. So the perfections of the garden and everything that had Adam had working for him, now just compare that to what Christ had to deal with. Christ didn't go and live in a garden. He went to the wilderness, the desert, the desolate place. And it wasn't just for a short time. It was 40 days. This is basically a 40-day miraculous fast without food and water. And he was tempted from beginning to end, we believe. All 40 days. And in fact, it also talks about the wild beast. Mark stresses the wild beast as much as he does Satan. So, I mean, that day I think there were lions around. There were, you know, jackals and all kinds of critters. Uh, snakes and bugs and, you know. And so this is where Christ was. And yet, he emerged triumphant out of the wilderness, out of the desolation, defeating Satan's sin and death, in a sense, right there in the wilderness, preparing him ultimately for ministry. This wasn't a cleansing, of course. Jesus didn't need cleanse, but it just kind of uh, shows us that he was ready. He's ready for the battle. So, he gets tended to and ministered to by the angels. Once again, it's a they have the supernatural aspect of the first part of this gospel. Um, and now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, so John is put in prison, you know, because we see in the actually uh, uh, John the Baptist is put in prison. The Gospel of John, we see that Jesus and John are kind of ministering in fairly close quarters, proximity to one another. And then Jesus hears that that John is is taken to prison by by Herod um, because of what John said to Herod. I mean, you know. John treated Herod like he did everybody else, you know. Called a spade a spade. You're an adulterer. And and while that upset Herod, that really made his wife upset. So that led John to being thrown in prison and eventually losing losing his head for his obedience to the Lord. So Jesus then moved his ministry to Galilee. In a sense, going from the secluded deserts of Judea to an even more secluded area, Galilee. And while John was was drawing people, you know, we know that as we read in the gospel here that uh, that Jesus is is drawing people by the five, ten thousand sometimes. 
So this desert ministry is, I don't think it's something we need to try, but you know, it is a picture of the Lord bringing his people back into the desert. It's, it's kind of an exodus upside down. You know, where God brought people out of uh, out of the, the wilderness into the promised land and and here he's taken them out of the promised land back into the desert. So he moves his minister to Galilee and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. I mean the kingdom is there. It's Jesus Christ. It's not near anymore. It's there. It's with Him. And we need to, they needed to back then, we need to today, to understand that Christ has come. And we need to believe His Gospel. The road has been straightened for us we have no excuse. The soil is being tilled by the Holy Spirit if you have ears to hear. And we need to repent and believe in Christ and be baptized. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus has set foot on earth to do the will of the Father for our redemption. We need to repent and believe in the gospel. I mean, that's really the takeaway of uh, this passage. You know, I mean, we need to uh, uh, understand the the message of uh, of the Old Testament. You know, it, it's it, you know the Jews were waiting for for Jesus, waiting for his ministry. It had been predicted through uh, from the time of uh, the garden when God promised that uh, there would be a savior who would destroy Satan it was promised through the prophets particularly Malachi and Isaiah here and now with Christ this is what you do you call upon the Holy Spirit. You ask Him to turn your heart to flesh. To turn your stony heart to flesh make you a son of Abraham because of what Christ has done on the cross. Whether you've heard that once or a thousand times, it doesn't matter. It was asked. Uh, Luther was asked, you know, why do you preach the Gospel every Sunday? He said, well, because we need to hear the Gospel every Sunday. The great evangelist George Whitfield was asked by a lady after one of his services, uh, why do you always say you must be born again? He said, well, because you must be born again. This is always the message. And that is what we need to hear. And that is could be the, the mission statement of this whole gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then that is going to be fleshed out more and more as Jesus casts out demons, tells them to shut up, heals lepers, puts his hands on them, heals people, uh, 
speaks about about the kingdom and speaks about how He is here. And we need to trust in Christ. This is what uh, what Mark came to do. He meant he came to to give a message to the to the Romans of the, at the time who were wanting to know what was it that 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 Peter was preaching all those years in Rome. And Mark had talked with Peter, and this is and this is it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for for the truth of your word, for the, the power of your Holy Spirit, and the work your Son has done. We pray that you supply this this word to our hearts. Give us wisdom, Lord, that we would proclaim your Son at work, at home, or wherever we go, Lord. Just help us to have a, a blessed rest of the service, Lord, in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.